The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Today, continuing the exploration of um, getting familiar with seeing or recognizing the presence and absence of delusion. Over the past weeks, we've been exploring how that might be possible. Coming into this whole conversation some weeks ago from the third foundation of mindfulness in the teaching of the Buddha, the teachings on mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, the Sutta on the foundations of mindfulness. And in the third foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha encourages us to recognize the presence and absence of several things. But in the first part of it, he's really kind of primarily looking at, asking us to look at the presence and absence of greed, of aversion, and of delusion. Delusion, by its very nature, is much harder to recognize the presence of. Um, it's actually not so hard to recognize the absence of delusion. Because when delusion falls away, it's, it can be kind of startling at times. It's like, oh my gosh, this like I'm seeing the world in such a different way. And it seems so obvious sometimes, especially when we're really seeing into some of these things we've been talking about over the past week, seeing into the impermanent nature of experience, one form of delusion that we tend to take what is impermanent to be permanent. That's a misattribution of impermanent experience as permanent. That's a form of delusion when we believe experience to be permanent. That's not. And there can be times when um, uh, we begin to clearly see the impermanent nature of experience in our practice, in our meditation. And, and that can be kind of startling. And we, we start to see what we have attributed to it the permanent nature we have attributed to it or the reliable nature we have attributed to it, that it will be something that we can rely on for happiness. And when that's clear, when, when we see the impermanent, unreliable nature of experience, sometimes the, um, the clarity of that really exposes what we had been believing before. We, we see, essentially, we had been believing something that was just not worthy of being believed. It was a misunderstanding. And so when delusion falls away, so that seeing the absence of delusion can be much easier than seeing the presence of delusion. Because delusion, by its very nature, obscures. When delusion is present, it is obscuring. And yet, um, you know, as we begin to explore, as we explore experience and we do get little flavors or tastes of seeing things in a different way, seeing the absence of delusion, then the presence of delusion becomes much easier to see. And yet, even without seeing the uh, 
the absence of delusion. We can start to learn through the teachings, through what the Buddha offered us in terms of these areas that he says we tend to misperceive, misunderstand experience in terms of these three areas that we take things that are impermanent to be permanent, things that are unreliable to be reliable, take things that are not self to be self. And this is the one I really want to focus on today, that we can we can start to understand the sense of self, and that begins to help us recognize that the way we have understood the sense of self is a, mis, a, mis, a misperception. It's a misunderstanding. And so it, it, it often takes some... Um, exploring or looking at what the Buddha meant by not-self and looking at what the Buddha called selfing. He actually used a word very similar to that. He, he used this phrase that's often translated as I-making and my-making making the sense of self, that essentially not denying that this is something that happens to us. You know, we, we, um, we all understand, I think, emotions, right? It's like an emotion arises, it passes away. We understand emotions as being a fluid, changing part of our experience. They come and they go, they come and they go. But they're not nothing, they, they affect us, they shape us, they uh, incline us to behave in certain ways. When kindness and compassion are arriving, arising, it, it inclines us to behave and inclines our, our being to behave in certain ways. When anger, aversion, confusion are arising, they incline us to behave in certain ways. And so they have an effect, right? They, they're this, this phenomena that's a fluid arising and passing phenomena that has an effect. We cannot deny that it's not got some influence on us, even though it's not a permanent thing. The sense of self is very similar. It's a subtler experience often. It's not so obvious as an emotion, although sometimes it is. Sometimes we, we really get a sense of the I coming in when we feel something like maybe self-righteousness or something like that. I'm right. We have those kind of feelings. One um, image that comes to me around the kind of inhabiting a sense of self um, at Spirit Rock, the retreat center just a little north of here in Northern California where I live, there are a lot of turkeys on the land, a lot of turkeys. And, um, you know, they have gotten very used to us. They, they, they do their thing very near us. And sometimes one day I got to watch the, the turkeys doing their mating dance right outside the dining hall. And the males, when they're kind of hoping to attract a female, they kind of, they puff up. They kind of do this thing. That appearance, that kind of, uh, the way that looks, that's kind of how it feels when a sense of self 
when we when we feel the sense of self. And it's kind of more obvious. It's got that kind of puff feeling or something like that. That's an image that, that resonates for me with respect to the sense of self. So the, the um, sense of self, when we, let's see. This, so the sense of self is a process that happens for us. But basically, um, and, it, and it often, I think, has to do something with agency, you know, often. It, it, well, it can have to do with agency. It can have to do with feeling like, like the one who's experiencing. The, the Buddha talks about three basic um, flavors, we could say, of the sense of self. Um, he encourages us to recognize this is not mine. This is not myself, this is not I, this is not who I am. So, you know, that maybe just sounds like three, three variations, but I think it points to three, three variations of the same thing, but I think it points to three distinct things that happen for us when we do take a sense of self. One of those is, we could, we'll flip it around now. We, we take, this is mine, this is, this is my thing. So there's a sense of possessiveness, a sense of ownership. Usually around, it can be around, um, you know, body. This is my body. It can be around things that we own. It can be around um, um, relationships. You know, kind of we get possessive about relationships. So that kind of possessive quality that, that, that we take, that's, that's one flavor of the sense of self. The second one, I think, is um, uh, this is who I am. You know, this is, I am the one who does something. So it's, it's kind of like the, the agent of activity. So there's a process in our minds that, that chooses, that decides, that engages, that acts in the world. And that's often a place that we attribute. I am doing this. I am deciding. I'm the one who decides. I'm the one who chooses. I'm the one who acts. So this is one flavor of the sense of self that, that um, uh, is pretty potent for us. You know, it, it feels so clear that I'm the one who's doing something you know, I'm the, I, like, who else is deciding if it's not me? When we begin, begin to explore it, and this is something we can unpack a little bit, maybe today and maybe over, um, you know, some more sessions on this, if there's interest in exploring this in more depth. Um, the, um, the sense of the one who chooses or decides, when we start to look at that, you know, when we start to investigate what happens when a decision is made, you know, it's usually based in our conditioning, almost always based in our conditioning, that the, the choices that are made have been shaped by history. And so not just by history, but also by how we are in this moment and how we're responding to what's happening in this moment, how, you know, how our conditioning has led us to, to meet what's happening. 
And so when we look at it and, and kind of, it can be startling. This is one of the things that can be startling in the meditation to see a choice that's made and watch it unfold. Watch the way, it's almost like watching a, a you know, a Rube Goldberg machine or something, you know, these things kind of follow, a ball follows a, a track and then it drops into a hole and goes around and then it goes into something else. And it's just, it's just these conditions that create different choices in different places where it might choose, go one route or another. And so this, this, we can, we can see actually that our, the part of our minds that does decisions is also a process. also a process. So that's one big, one big place or one big way that we tend to attribute a sense of self. It's like the sense that I made that decision. There is a decision-making process that happens. The saying or the believing that I made that decision is a misapprehension, is a mis with the I being something that's independent of the decision, essentially. That's the idea that there's an I separate, a sense of self separate, a me separate from the decision-making process that is somehow driving that process. We could say that there is a, a, a sense of self. There is a something that's kind of in that process of deciding, but it's not separate from it. It, Essentially, the, the deciding is the deciding. There's not, there's not a separate thing that says, I'm going to make that decision. So these the process of the process of selfing has, you know, so those are two flavors: the, the possessive flavor, the active flavor, the doing flavor, the flavor of I am the one who chooses, decides, acts. And then there's a third flavor that's more kind of passive almost. You know, at one point I saw in my meditation that I was not the one making the decisions. I was not the one that was in charge here. But it sure felt like it was all happening to me. So there's a sense of the self also as being just the one who experiences things. So there can be a, a kind of a creation of an identity around the one who things happen to. So those are three key flavors of the sense of self. But they're all, and they all have their basis in some aspect of our human process. The, uh, the, the um, sense of self around the, I'm the one who does things, the agency, that has its basis in the fact that our organism has this capacity to have um, uh, thoughts and emotions arise that will, uh, you know, based on history, that influence and inform decisions that, that are made in this organism. There does not have to be we do. We, we think there there has to be something choosing or deciding, but it it really simply can be. This is just a process unfolding based on conditioning, based on experience. Very organic kind of process, you know. 
trees are alive. Um, they grow in their own way, in dependence on conditions. And two different trees of the same kind, you know, two different redwood trees, will look very different depending on the conditions, depending on where the, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's a tree that's growing up kind of on the edges of a mother tree, just at the kind of at the base, it's gonna have one quality. If it's a tree that's growing based on the, um, the, the little seed out of the pine cone, the little tiny pine cone that redwoods have, it may look a little different depending on where that seed lands, whether it lands in the crevice of a rock or on a forest floor, it's gonna have different conditions, how much water it gets, how much sun it gets, how, whether an animal comes and walks on top of it or not, or eats it up. All of those things are conditions that influence how it grows. But there's a growing process that that seed has inherently in it. And most of us, I mean, some, some of us may think of a tree as having a, an agency. I don't tend to think that way. I think many of us may think of it more as just a natural process. Trees grow because of those conditions. That, that seed has that inherent capacity for growth. It's, it's a living thing and living organisms have these processes that unfold. And so the process of the seed turning into a tree is not something that we have to attribute. There's a being in that tree deciding to grow. You don't usually have to think of it that way. It's just nature. It's nature expressing itself in that organism, in that thing, in that. And that process, because you can't really stop the redwood tree anywhere. Redwood trees get pretty stable, you know, they get pretty big and they look pretty stable, but they're not stable. You know, they're always expanding, growing, changing, taking in water, shedding leaves, shedding needles. They're always changing. There's never any point at which you can say, this is the tree and that's where it stays. It's a process. And very similarly in our uh, humanness, you know, we have a different kind of, of nature kind of infusing us. And some of that nature infusing us includes a kind of a capacity through our brains of being able to respond to the world, of having that capacity to see something and decide to go towards it or away from it, for instance. Based, usually based on our history and our conditioning, whether things have, we have, um, you know, appreciated them in the past or not. You know, a simple thing like the kinds of foods we eat is, is often shaped. What kind of foods we like is, is shaped by the foods that we were fed as a child. You know, these, are, these are things that we've absorbed and that shape the decisions thinking, well, I like this, but you know, that whole liking process was created from the time we were children. And so there's a, there's a, you know, a, a slightly different kind of, of conditioning process that's unfolding in us as humans than, than is unfolding in a tree. And yet it's not that different. It is just 
an unfolding process. And there's nothing in that process that is stable, kind of like in the tree. Every single moment of the tree, there's something different happening, some shift, some moisture being drawn up or leaves shedding or bark being chewed away by animals or something that's, that's happening with that tree. And so with us, the, what, we, what we tend to do, the mistake or the delusion of self, essentially, you know, sometimes we think of this teaching on not self as being, well, we have to figure out how to get rid of this self that we believe. And it's more the believing that is the delusion. The processes that we take to be self, those, those, are, are, those are gonna keep happening. It's, it's more the idea or the perception of the idea of this is a self that is the mistake. And usually that, that perception includes some idea of, and there's a teaching the Buddha offers on this, of um, you know, kind of these, uh, these three key delusions that we take what is impermanent to be permanent, we take what is unreliable to be reliable, what is not self to be self. They, they, they kind of um, interact with each other. And some of the key ways that we misattribute self is that or what we take to be self essentially is that we assume there is some stable, permanent thing entity that is me. So there's a misattribution of some part of our experience that we are saying, this is a stable part. This is a permanent part. And we also tend to think somehow that it's reliable. That there's something we can count on there. That it is the, that, that, and, and intending to be reliable in terms of how to shape happiness. You know, we come up with a lot of suffering. We have a lot of suffering around this aspect of a sense of self. Because the nature of our experience being impermanent and unreliable, all over the place, we find unreliability. And the uh, you know, the attribution of the sense of self being something that should be reliable in terms of making me happy. I have suffered so much over what, why am I doing, I'm a failure. I'm not able to make myself happy. What's wrong with me? That, that sense of attributing you know, a, a sense of a capacity that this being we think should have to reliably make us feel good and have good things and live a life that we want to live. You know, when 
the nature of the world intervenes, you know, is, is, is kind of met by this being, you know, we're going to see that some, sometimes there is the possibility to find our way to something that feels good for a little while, but that doesn't last forever. Impermanence doesn't last forever. And then there's, you know, the next few moments, there's something else that we're looking for or trying to find or trying to, to, to do. And so in some ways, the sense of self is trying to find the stable, trying to find the reliable. And it thinks it should be able to do that in some ways. And, and either, you know, we often either feel like if I'm not able to do that, there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with the world or there's someone in my way or, you know, so, so, you know, there's that, there's that kind of um, um, sense of problem there. And there are, there are definitely ways that we get in each other's way. Not denying that process, we are processes kind of all trying to find our way through this world. And, you know, like trees have kind of competition for resources in their, in their processes of growth. Some trees end up getting more nourishment than others. And maybe it's got to do with various conditions. Um, you know, the same thing happens with us. And our, our, you know, the, the mental processes that, that are, you know, going on, we, we end up like having this conflicted and con contentious relationship with each other to fight for resources. And so we do get in each other's way, but it's processes getting in each other's way. It's not something stable or solid. So the, you know, the kind of, the, this, this way of understanding not self, really, like the process nature of, um, of, of our experience. This is, this is the encouragement in some ways to um, be curious about our experience. One way to begin to, to look at or, or um, investigate, let's say, this delusion around self is to begin to look at what assumptions are we making about self, that it's reliable, that it's permanent, and then start looking at what we take to be self and see, is it true? Is it stable? Is it reliable? One teacher, one um, Zen teacher, Zen master Dogen had this famous, has this famous quote. That's very resonant for me when I think about this topic. He says, to study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened by all things. So the way in to this 
investigation of not-self is not to try to find not-self, but to look at what we are taking to be self, to study the self, to study what that selfing, actually, I should say, really. It's a, as the Buddha said, this is a process in our minds. It's a process of I-making and my-making. So when there is the sense of self, what is it that we are taking to be self? It may fall into one of these three flavors of the owner, the possessor, the agent, the doer, or the experiencer, the one who receives. Maybe it falls into one of those three. And, and then, you know, curious about, okay, well, it feels like I'm the one who's doing. Let's see. What is it? What is this doer? Sometimes we, we can um, feel like, you know, I'm, I'm the one who is this body or I am the one who is these emotions. And again, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a sense, and in exploring this myself and in looking at the sense of self, I began to see that there are a couple of pieces that, that were interesting to, to kind of notice. One is that there's a kind of a familiar sense of me, you know, in this body, you know, that's kind of like there's, there's some familiar feelings, uh, you know, familiar kind of contractions or senses of things, thoughts that arise frequently. So there's a familiarity there. But when I try to find, actually look like, well, what is that? What, what, try to pin it down. What is this familiarity that I'm calling me? There's nothing stable there. You can't really find it. You can't find the thing that you're taking to be self. It's, 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 it's a fluctuating thing. It's a fluid thing. And so there's kind of like a sense of, um, you know, familiarity of a whole bunch of different feelings that come in. It's more like the familiarity or the sense of a river. You know, a river, um, you go to a river day after day, and it looks kind of similar. I mean, you can go to the river, you can find the river, kind of got the same trees along the banks at roughly the same shape. So it's got some stability to it. But, you know, what is the river? It's, it's a process. It's a flow. There's, there's no moment that the water in the river, which is often what we might think of as the river, the water in the river, but the water in the river is continually changing. The water that's here in front of us two seconds later is 10 feet away. A day later is a mile or two miles away. Even the, the, the kind of the, the, the shape or the, the kind of the form of the river, the, the riverbed, even that's being washed away moment after moment. The, the, the particles of earth are being, being washed down. And when there's a stronger current, even the rocks can be washed down. If there's a, a major flood, even the shape of that riverbank can change. So there's something familiar that we have that we can call it a river. We can call it a river. We can go to that river. We can talk about the river. We can, you know, be 
know what we're talking about when we talk about the river. But there's nothing stable there. There's no thing there. There's nothing permanent about that river. Likewise, you know, with our sense of self, that familiarity, there's something familiar there. These thoughts that arise are familiar. The feelings in the body that arise are familiar. The the kind of um, emotions that I have are familiar. But if I try to pin it down and say, this is that self, it's like it, there's nothing to hold on to. It's like you're trying to, to pick up water with your hand. It just, it just runs through it. And as Joseph Goldstein has said, actually, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to find the sense of self, you know, the, 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 the learning that can happen there, as he says, is the, the not finding, is the finding. The not finding of the sense of self is the understanding. So the kind of the curiosity. So that was one side of, of the of the sense of self that you know I called me is just something familiar. And that may be the me that's the experiencer or something. But then there's a the me that's the doer. You know, there's a lot of different doers out there in my, in my you know, repertoire of selves. It's more like uh, a whole bunch of different selves. There's, there's different kind of senses of self that are connected with different roles that I have. Being a, a, a daughter, being a friend, being a teacher, you know, different, different kind of choices that are made when I'm in those senses of self. Different, you know, even in one, in, one, um, in one experience I had on a retreat, um, I was looking at this kind of sense of self. I was seeing there had been a, an incident in the hall that, that morning where somebody had said something that I, you know, I was having a lot of judgment about and a lot of, you know, selfing about and my, you know, 40-year-old argumentative, analytical um, I was 40 at that point. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that, that sense of self arose. And it was pretty strong. It was pretty clear. You know, there was a, it was not only the, the sense of I am, but, you know, I'm right. I know how it should work. This isn't what should be happening. So there was an othering of that person who'd been, who'd been asking the question in the hall and a sense of selfing here. And it was pretty strong. It was pretty clear. And I was just watching it and being with it and, and noticing what was going on. It felt pretty solid. It felt pretty, you know, it's like, yeah, this one's really familiar. I recognize this sense of self. I was doing walking meditation outside while I was observing this. And uh, conditions intervened. A, a, a big delivery truck drove up right next to where I was walking. It made these big, loud crashes and noises and bangs and the door slammed and the brakes squealed and, and my whole attention riveted to the truck. And um, suddenly there was like a whole different sense of self that was 
you know, kind of surprisingly in a way, you might think that that, that you know, argumentative I'm right might just be completely aversive. I mean, that's what I would have thought, you know, that that, that you know, would have just like, what are you doing here? You know, you shouldn't be here. This is a meditation center. But instead what happened was like this arising of a, like an amazed, like two-year-old. And the, the thought that I heard in my mind was just like that. It's a truck. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's amazing. It's a truck. And it was like flipping a switch, completely different sense of self. The, the, the shift from that argumentative, I'm right, to this kind of delighted two-year-old quality. It was so clear that, that that sense of self that I had been so hooked to, it had just vanished. It too was just a process. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. So the curiosity about exploring, what are we taking to be self? So that was one where, that one was one where I, I mean, I, I, I inhabited a new identity. I inhabited the two-year-old, but the, the learning in that moment was kind of a, you know, seeing that there had been a kind of a solid, solidifying around that, you know, argumentative analytical self that just vanished. When I said earlier that sometimes we can see, um, learn something when something disappears. That's what happened there. I learned something when that sense of self disappeared. Now, another one arose quickly to take its place. But the presence of mind was there enough to see that there had been an attachment, there'd been a kind of a a kind of a believing of the solidity of that sense of self that was startling to see that had disappeared. So um, I guess the piece that just as a takeaway out of this, uh, out of this talk is to be curious about what are you taking to be self? Not trying to get rid of it, but just, what is it? What is that? What is that um, sense of self? And, and sometimes, some, I would say when the sense of self is obvious, as it sometimes is, you know, like that kind of self-righteous, analytical, argumentative uh, thing I had, had had inhabited, you know, sometimes. So that there, it was pretty clear, that sense of self, you know. Sometimes it's not so obvious what the sense of self is, and you don't have to go looking for it either. You know, it's like, so that's, that's just another sense of self trying to find the self, you know, trying to observe self with self. Is one place the Buddha talks about ways that we identify. Once I'm, once I will observe self with self. One of the other ways is I will observe not self with self. <laughs> Just a whole, a whole bunch of different ways that we go about trying to observe senses of self. So sometimes the sense of self is clear, and that's when it's really interesting to kind of be curious. Well, what is it? What am I taking to be self here? Is it the is it the ownership piece? Is it the, you know, the emotion? Am I taking the emotion to be who I am? Am I attributing a self to someone who's inside the body? You know, what is it? Um, but sometimes it's more, what's more obvious is 
a sense of suffering or a sense of confusion or a sense of contraction. And it may not be clear, you know, um, what the sense of self is that's connected to that. There is usually when there's suffering happening, there's a sense of self involved. In fact, the Buddha's teaching on dependent origination, a teaching that describes how suffering is created, the kind of the set of processes unfolding in our minds by which we cling to things. When something's pleasant, we like it, we want it, we hold on to it, we want to control it, we want to navigate it, and, and the impermanent nature of it eventually will have it fall apart and we suffer. You know? So it describes that process. And that description of the process of creation of suffering that he lays out in a conditioned unfolding is also the same process describes the creation of the sense of self. It's an identical, it's the identical process. And so whether we're looking at that process from the perspective of suffering, so maybe seeing, oh, this feeling that's happening right now, it hurts. And that's what, that's what's obvious. It's not, it's not, not exactly clear how the sense of self comes into play, except maybe that I'm hurting, you know, but the, but the, the sense of the, the suffering there, maybe that's what's obvious. And so if you're, if you're studying that, if you're curious about that, you're in the same terrain. We can look at the process from the lens of, or the curiosity around the suffering, the kind of the craving, the clinging, or we can look at it from the lens around the identification. And one or the other may be more obvious. And so we don't have to go looking for a sense of self if it's not obvious. Just study what is obvious. You're studying that process in any case. So um, I wanted to take a couple of minutes to see, not to respond to questions so much, but to see what your questions are about this topic. Um, if there's interest, you know, uh, we can continue for a few more times to explore and unpack this, this theme of exploring the delusion around not self. Um, so yeah, if there's questions, um, I can use some of those as ways to, to go in over the coming, coming times that we're together. So questions about this that, you know, not, not, not to answer right now, but just you know, questions you might have about this. Yeah, Jan. How to um, work with that tendency to self while trying to look at the self. <laughs> so how to work with the tendency. Well, you described it earlier. I forget the words you used, but you know, you're, you're using the self. Oh. To look at the self. Using the self to look at right? the self. Which comes up in all sorts of forms of meditation and processes. Yeah, it does actually. And sometimes and sometimes it's useful. You know, that uh, you know, so the the sense of self um, is as I described earlier on, you know, the sense of self is a process. Uh, like anger and anger shapes things. And so a sense of self also shapes things. So it's, you know, it's not nothing and it does affect us. So yeah, that's a great one. Thanks. Um, other, other um, comments or Kate. Yeah. yeah. I'd be interested if you could say a bit more about, um, 
you know, you mentioned that in meditation, it really feels like what you're being aware of is being received by you, by, by, by a, you know, a kind of a self and how to kind of explore that. Um, and also around sort of self-judgment, working, working with that. Okay. Great, thanks. So a couple of folks weighing in to yes, explore this topic more in the chat. Any, any other questions? I mean, I, I recently kind of explored this with another group and, and ended up giving nine, nine sessions. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't have to go on for that long, but uh, as long as there's interest and juice for it. Other, other particular questions that this talk has kind of spurred, you know, maybe confusion or uncertainty around something that I've described or... Self-judging, another, another yes for self-judging, okay. <laughs> I'll put a, I'll put another mark. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do something along those lines next time. You know, the senses of self around, uh, you know, self negativity essentially. Yeah, Peggy. Um, I'm interested in that also the nature of um, who's watching, who's aware. Okay, that, that, that seems like that's in the nature of the experiencer, you know, so that's that, that side of it. So, um, okay. Yeah. So that's, and that's a great one. If you have a sense, okay, so there's awareness, but who's aware? Again, that question of in the not finding is the finding, you know, you're not going to really find it. If you turn to try to look at who's aware, and it's kind of almost an infinite regress. Um, so that, but that, that can be a really great one for exploring. What is the who I'm taking to be aware? So how do we define self by our interests? Um, Jan, could you say a little bit more? Another form of doing, but there's a lot of identification with what TV shows you like or what, you know, whether you do movies or arts or, you know, we define ourselves by our interests. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, that might one thing maybe we could also start by start with next time is to kind of do a kind of a survey of all of you. It's like, what do you take to be self? <laughs> you know, what are the different flavors of it for you? You know, that might be an interesting place to start. Uh, how does the non-self feel? <laughs> okay, and then Prerana. Um, uh, if you could talk more about how this ties in with the, with the feeling of like free will. So, so, um, because, uh, here we are trying to improve ourselves is a sense that we have that is also a sense of self, but then if, if we just look at it as sense of self, how do you, um, still continue to motivate yourself, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so I got a bunch of questions now. That's great. Um, and it's time to stop. So uh, 
oh, let's see. A big interest seems to be to define self by pronouns, she, her, he, him. What are your thoughts about this? Okay, that's another another good thing. 